Hello and welcome to Dayton. This is season three and episode number two. I hope you enjoyed the last episode. Uh, Ravi, how you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yeah, that last episode was good fun. I think it was good. Nice recap 2019 um, because we actually got through a lot last year. Yeah, we did. We did. We did. But this episode, we're joined by our very first guest. Hi, how's it going? Good. How you doing? I'm well. I'm well. I'm well. Yeah. Uh, Whereabouts whereabouts in the world are you? I'm currently in, uh, I was about to say sunny San Diego. I'm currently in in dark (laughs) morning San Diego. Uh, and I'm out, I'm out here to do some consultancy at the moment, and so I've, uh, I've got up at uh, six-ish to, to speak oh, with you wow, guys. So the dedication. This, I love it. I love it. I think this reminds me of when it was snowing in the UK. Do you remember that? And we did like a couple of podcasts when I was over in in New Jersey for for a couple of weeks, and that was again. I, I think I did similar. Yeah. Six or seven a.m. start to get to get a podcast in. So thank <laughs> yeah, you absolutely, for absolutely. getting a party for us. But it's a true dedication for our first podcast guest. Um, I guess for context, uh, we actually work with Gwilym. So we all, we all work at the Information Lab, um, but Gwilym's abroad and we decided to kind of use this opportunity to get him on board to talk about our topic today, which is data ethics. Data Ravi, ethics. what do you think about data, data ethics? Yeah, data ethics is a fun one, right? Because it's, it's, it's almost like um, it's one of those things where when you on, on, onboarded a company, it's one of those videos you have to watch with the sort of week long of induction and all these things. And the, the sort of stuff where it's about data security, data ethics starts with you and like the leaflet you get is like, has a mirror on it. And yeah, it's, yeah, it's sort of yeah. to remind you that it's it's everyone's responsibility. Um, but I think it's also, um, I think we, we're going to discuss this a lot more in this episode, but it's something that is often ignored or sort of almost passed off to someone. It's like, oh, this is, I'm not as important for this. Uh, and Quillam actually teaches this at the data school um, as, a, right, as, a, yeah. as a sort of module that we do. And uh, I think, for each of everyone that's gone through that that process, and um, it, it always encourages different conversations. I think you'll agree with that, Gordon. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So um, I spent about uh, well, I have like a three-hour session with the DS where I talk about data security and data ethics. Um, it's and it, yeah, I, I like how you uh, we were talking about the, the training videos at, at, at different companies because those, those are always um, it's almost like they've designed it to be as boring or uh, as <laughs> like, as ridiculous as possible. Which has the, the right. counterintuitive effect of um, making people care less about it. So, exactly. uh, so you, know, <laughs> you sit through these uh, these really long videos about how you know you should never give anybody your password, and you think, well, obviously. Uh, but then the, the way it's hammered <laughs> home makes you less likely to to um, to really really take it seriously. Uh, and, yeah, exactly. And but funnily enough, that that one actually has happened to me before. Um, I, I once had a uh, I was once working with someone who I, um, it was a Transatlantic project. I was in the UK. They were in the States um, working for an American client. And I was the, I was their tabloid guy based in London. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was this long project with uh, a lot of deadlines and it was quite stressful. And this, uh, the, the, the lady who was on point for the, for the project was messaging me to say, uh, hey, I need access to this, uh, this dashboard, this work in progress thing you've got. Um, uh, where, where is it? So I sent her a link to the tabloid server. And she said, great. What, what credentials can I use? Um, like, well, <laughs> if you're not registered on Tableau Server, what you're going to have to do is talk to the uh, talk to the IT guy to set up on site. Um, right. And then she says, "Oh, can I borrow your credentials? I'll log out after download." Um, and, <laughs> and and I thought, after I, download, uh, that's brilliant. You, <laughs> so uh, and this was all over um, Skype for Business as well, right? So I have no Fantastic. idea if this is even her. I don't know if this is someone sitting yeah. behind a laptop and typing away. So you know, I, I my reply was. Sorry, I don't know if this is a test or for real, but sharing credentials is a huge security risk. Delaying a client project for <laughs> a few hours is not worth that risk. Because you know, I was, yeah. I was a good boy. I sat through all the all the videos. 
And, yeah. and she comes I mean, back like, no, I still really need sign-in. I'm going to CC your boss and your boss's boss. I will take the risk. It's my password. It's not yours to take. But yeah, okay. so, so we, we chat about all this kind of stuff in uh, at the data school as well, because um, you know it's, it's it's one thing to sit through the it's one thing to sit through the videos and not take them seriously. It's another thing mm -hmm. to chat about uh, real times where risks do occur. And, and, and yeah, yeah. So it was interesting with the with the passwords thing because it's everyone has their own weird secure inverted commas. I'm doing the quote marks here. Secure way of doing things. I've seen. Uh, people have the, the the draft email they keep with all their logins and credentials they can copy oh, paste yeah. or an insecure notepad. Um, and why I was fine about those. I've seen so many Google Sheets full of people's passwords or right, passwords. right, exactly. And yeah. and it's stuff like this, and it's, it's it makes you wonder, like you know, you do all these data ethics and data security classes when you you were inducted, or all 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 of these times when you're not really paying attention. But um, I wonder how many companies have actually implemented something that does do a test like imagine if that was a test with, with the with the person you're working with um or, or even just a recap right like as in a refresher everyone has to go through and you're mm -hmm. regularly checked in on on these things right. um i think what we're going to talk about a lot here is um why is it important in in data tech and analytics in the sphere we work in uh, and also yeah. a bit about the origin i guess right yeah Exactly, exactly. So why don't we dive into that, sort of sticking to the old what-so-what -so -what format. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so yeah, what is data ethics? I guess I'll open up that discussion first um, to maybe Gwilym or Ravi. Go for it. So oh, it's, it's, it's one of these things where it's, but I think it's quite difficult to define in a nice snappy sentence. Um, mm, right. The, the way I see it, data ethics is, okay, so you're doing stuff technically with, your, with, with the data, and you're doing your job, but mm -hmm. Can you step back and think about it for a moment, please? That, that's what I think of as, as ethics. Like, okay, I, I can see what you're doing from a business standpoint, but what are you actually doing? You know, what's the effect? What's yeah. the, uh, what's the, um, what's, what could potentially go wrong? What's, uh, what are you, right. un, like, uh, what are you doing without realizing? Who are you affecting? What's, um, uh, what, stop looking at the numbers. What's the processes? What's the people? And I'm kind of paraphrasing Georgia Loopy here. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it's sort of a lot about the value judgments, right? The soft, the softer side, the softer implications that you know are derived or maybe even implied from the way you go about handling data, right? Yeah. If if I was to try and compress it into a phrase, that doesn't cover half of it. But yeah, it's it's about the closest I can get. I think I think a lot of this comes. There's a lot of blurred lines here, right? Like between security, ethics, and privacy. Yeah. I think we talked when we had the data and privacy episode. We 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 talked a bit more about whether it's right to have. Uh, the, the GDPR regulations and PID data and all these different things. But then it's like, well, if you're trying to use data to improve lives, do you not need some level of, you know, demographic data? And that's where we start getting to that ethical point, right? It, it, yeah. At what point do you stop looking at a row as a row of data and start thinking of the person behind it? And what is the intent? I think the, the intention is really important here. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's almost as if... Um... There's multiple strands. So though it says data ethics, you'd think it's only focusing on ethics, but actually there's there's an under, underlying level of sort of uh, law or legislation, whatever you want to call it, that sort of, you know, this is how you handle data, GDPR being a good example. <laughs> then there is the um, sort of, there's a practice. So, you know, people like you and me, we all have agreed ways of handling data and understanding what's the best, most efficient way of doing that. And then applying that to the, you know, the first, the first rule, which is law. And then there's a third level, which is, okay, you're doing the first two fine, but there's still another aspect, which is you might be doing the first two, but still not actually considering ethics in itself, right? And it sort of has an implied relationship between the, those three things. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, Colin, how do you relate this back to sort of the um, business analytics side or the sort of day-to-day -day usage of 
you know, uh, we talked to, we talked a bit about like, well, it's everyone's responsibility. How does that sort of factor in when you're, when you're speaking about data ethics? So I think that this is one of the most crucial points about data ethics. And I, I, I see it as a bit like uh, climate change in, in the way that people approach mm-hmm. it. So uh, into, everyone kind of uh, appreciates that climate change is a massive problem. But on the individual level, you can, uh, people see it as like, well, I'm trying and I cycle to work, but uh, yeah. so I don't have a car <laughs> and that's the best I'm doing. But I know that it's also relatively, like, it's a drop in the ocean. I, what change can I really make? I'm not the head of BP. I'm not the head of Shell. You know, I can make some actions, mm-hmm. but I can take some actions, but is it going to do anything? And, and data ethics is kind of similar in that people think um, when, when you read about data ethics or when you see it in the news, you see stuff like uh, how, um, you know, the YouTube algorithm may or may not radicalize people towards the far right or yeah. how also yeah. um, the YouTube algorithm may or may not uh, direct. Uh, th- there, was, there was a fascinating but terrifying story in the, in the New York Times uh, about six months ago. Um, it was what was the headline? It was called. Uh, it was something like um, YouTube's digital playground is an open gate for paedophiles, something like that. And it, it, <laughs> right, it was about right. how you know the algorithm would pick up, uh, you know, it would it would identify people who watch like uh, certain kinds of content, and it would mm-hmm. realize that uh, people with people who watch this kind of content also watch content with young girls in it or young children in it, and and how the algorithm kind of facilitated that and would direct paedophiles to. Uh, innocent videos that kids had uploaded of themselves uh, and right. it, was, it was horrific but but mm-hmm. people see stuff like that as data ethics which, which it is but people see the big mm-hmm. stuff and think i'm not like someone who develops the youtube algorithm i'm mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm a guy with a dashboard so mm-hmm. what what is it like you know my my dashboard is this this week's sales you know what where's the data ethics in that but it's um some, something I, I i make the point of is that uh when you when you hear about workers in Amazon warehouses um, like pissing in bottles because they uh, in the middle of the warehouse they're like a mile away from the nearest toilet and they can't mm-hmm. uh, you know you, you can't go all the way to the loo and then all the way back to where you are without uh, spending ages doing that and then losing time etc. Sure, that's that's unpleasant, but the somewhere in, at Amazon there is someone like us who has a dashboard of uh, some sort of like employees' time and so, right. so someone has someone with a dashboard is uh, probably just um, reporting time on work and time off work for individual employees. And uh, and the way that they've set up that dashboard probably just doesn't account for stuff like going to the loo on a shift when you're you're a long way from a toilet. So, right. and, and that, that's the mundane side, but that's how it can, that's how something that feels relatively mundane can actually mm-hmm. lead to ethical and unethical situations. Exactly. And even that example, um, maybe has some implied bias in it because you know if 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 you're maybe a woman who's about to go through a pregnancy, you might off need the loo more often. So a dashboard like that would would also you know not take that side of the sort of conversation into right. account, um, and and it can lead to sort of biases being kind of only amplified further than you know right, exactly. otherwise would. Be. So that that reminds yeah. me of a uh, one of the best articles I read last year. It was um it was it was in the Huffington Post. It was called uh, right. It's called um, something about I was a cable guy. Uh, it's, it's by mm-hmm. this woman called Lauren Huff. Who's, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So she's a writer. She wrote something fantastic about how um, she wrote an article about how she was uh, she was a cable technician for in the States. And she was, uh, her job mm-hmm. was to drive around um, various different places and fix people's cable. And mm-hmm. her whole point, one of the things that comes through this essay is how um, she was one of the only female employees. And... Um, it, when, when you're driving around uh, suburban America or rural America, 
if she needed the toilet, she would have to um, drive way out of her way to get to the nearest uh, convenience store. And even then, right. you, know, you don't necessarily want to go to the convenience store bathrooms because they're, they're, they're not mm. safe. So um, there's this whole section there about how she's uh, arguing with her boss for a pay rise because um, she's paid less than her male colleagues. And then her boss mm -hmm. turns around and says, well, it's because of your numbers. You do, you complete fewer jobs per day than your male colleagues and it's performance based. Mm -hmm. And there's this whole section where she's like, well, yes, that's true. But my male colleagues have like massive bottles, of, like massive empty Gatorade bottles uh, that, that they fill with urine while driving. And, and I'm physically incapable of that. <laughs> and, and, wow. yeah. right. and so, yeah. so that, that to yeah. me is data ethics. So, uh, mm -hmm. right. and, and that to me is somewhere that we work as well in that someone is assessing, someone has a dashboard with uh, performance targets and the, the number of jobs completed by cable workers. And someone, yeah. whoever maintains that dashboard or whoever maintains that data source probably doesn't have some kind of calculation that offsets toilet breaks. Right, yeah. Or neutralizes for it, yeah. 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 I, I think one of the most interesting things that I've, I've seen or heard of you do with that class you run is uh, swapping, was it medical, uh, medical data with cell data? It's the exact same numbers uh, across a, a small telly view created. Uh, do yeah. you talk a bit yeah. more about that? Because I think that's a really interesting um, uh, test that you do in that, that, that encourages, must encourage. Yeah, that's a great conversation. Um, I, I really enjoy doing that one. It's, uh, we, use, uh, we use Alteryx to build a predictive model. And it's, um, mm -hmm. this is relatively early in, in, in the DS training. And uh, what I've got is a, a, a lot of sales data. So I have this setup where I say that we, we're a, a manufacturer and we've developed 30 new products. We have enough budget to launch five products. So we take the historical data and there's um, uh, various columns in there about cost of development and uh, mm -hmm. binary fields suitable for children, yes, no, that kind of thing. Uh, what we want to do mm -hmm. is uh, create a model to predict product success for the new data. So we look at, uh, look at the historical products that have worked well and haven't worked well, and we take the new products, use the same kind of columns to work, to, to just give like a logistic regression to see uh, the, whether, it, whether it's going to succeed or not. Uh, based on the uh, based on this data, which five products should we pick to launch? So you know, people uh, happily open this, develop their predictive models, and find the five new products that are most likely to be successful products according to um, based on their uh, their development. All right. Yeah. So then the next question is: We're a hospital. There's a list of patients who are waiting for an expensive operation, which has no guarantee <laughs> of working. We have right. uh, thirty patients on the list. And we only have enough budget for five operations. Take the historical patient data, for, and and you know it's it's um, this time it's it's fields like uh, patients' age and patients' income because income is mm -hmm. like one of the best correlates for health outcomes there is, and a binary field mm -hmm. for smoker, yes or no, that kind of thing. And then um, then the question is, which five patients do have the greatest chance of success? Which five patients should we operate on because they're most likely to uh, for it to work? And, you know, people are, uh, some people are outraged, some people go dive straight in. And then, then a little later, people realize, hang on, this is the exact same data set. You've just changed the column headers. Yeah. And, and yep, so, yep, yes, yep. yes, that, that's, that's the exact thing, right? But the, <laughs> the context of like, the data is identical. The only thing that's changed yeah. is the context of what you're doing with it. Mm -hmm. And one has more gravitas than the other, right? right. It kind of hits home. The second, uh, the hospital one hits home a little bit harder. Yeah. Because you start asking yourself actual ethical questions about, well, uh, you know, what 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 ethical framework am I actually going to use to make this decision? Should it be the same one you'd use for you know, uh, in, in sort of objects, or would it? You actually should you use a more 
sort of sound set of principles to choose who you treat and who you don't treat yeah. that are not based on values that are in the data, right? Yeah, exactly. And this is also where it gets uh, where it gets very difficult and fuzzy because there just isn't a right answer to that. The the fun side, but also the difficult side, is exploring with people how to approach these questions when when there just isn't a right answer. You can there is a right yeah. answer from a technical perspective, and you know how to do the regression, but there is not a right answer in terms of the the ethical perspective and the the outcomes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I think going 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 a bit deeper into that, that this is where you get into like for example, big banks have, have the the security and privacy um, regulations and, and security settings they have. For example, you can't go down to such a, a level of granularity. So the, the responsibility then becomes on the individual, not only just to be aware of the context, but also the context of the data they're using. So for example, if you're able to you know, so I'm currently I'm in Chelmsford right now, but you could probably find out where I am exactly by tweaking certain filters if you're working for, I don't know, um, the, the My Internet Service Provider. You find out where I am and who I am based on your innate knowledge, right? Um, but this is where it's responsible for the person creating the data to um, almost have those security settings in place. So you can't go down to a single row. You can't use, you know, you, once you get to 100 rows of data, you everything gets obfuscated. Hang on, let me check Obfuscated. Again. Everything gets obfuscated. Off, yeah, there you go. What, what <laughs> say? Obfuscated. Um, that or MD5 hash or something like that. Um, and that, that's really important. Um, and alongside that, because I think your example, Gwilym, of the the sort of uh, the predictive model really comes into what's happening and the sort of future trends people are expect, expecting. We've talked about Moore's law on this podcast before, where computing yeah. is getting cheaper and, and automation uh, is coming effectively, but. Through automation, you also get bias, like the inherent bias we have. So, for example, if we ever get to a point where the legal system is run by some level of AI, it will be inherently biased because, you know, there is a tarnished history in the legal system about biases that people have within themselves that then come out during trials and all these high pressure situations because humans make mistakes um, and, and trying to do something at that level and scale and volume. Uh, is tricky. So um, where AI, AI starts to have bias because it's not trained in a certain way uh, also comes into this, right? Yeah, and people will people will often say with, with, with some reason um, that this isn't bias, this is done by a machine. The machine is blind to human prejudice. No, the machine, the machine is only as good as the input data that you give it. And the, mm-hmm. the, the training data for a model is always going to come from human decisions and human behaviors and human processes, which are well, we, we are generally awful to each other. So right. the machine is just going to learn that and learn how to uh, recreate that quite effectively. And even if you take that down to a really granular level, like uh, sort of computer logic, like if statements and nested logic, like that's got a very limited sort of set of frameworks, right? There's only so far you can take that uh, sort of framework as a programmer and build an algorithm because it's still using the fundamental building blocks of logic gates to, to do the yes and no stuff so um even that in itself is like an ethical limitation mm-hmm. uh, ai can only function as well as the technology that sits underneath it and that unfortunately is still quite basic and uh, at its core i think we, we, we're definitely into the so what we're really into the discussion about data ethics and, yeah. and data security so i, I think go on. so one of the things i i, I sort of struggle with is being a consultant and this sort of this friction against this topic around ethics because actually 
as a consultant, so what we tried, what you're trying to do as a consultant is help your client do the job better, do whatever they've got you in to do in a better way, in a more reliable way. And sometimes you come up against this friction where the client wants X, but actually you think Y is slightly better for them. And adding data ethics to that mix is something that I've never really understood. Like, what's the best way to convince um, your client that data ethics is something they should consider? Because often uh, you're there because they haven't actually thought about some of these, uh, never mind analytical concepts in detail. Um, uh, what about sort of ethics, ethical concepts in detail? And so I wonder, how do you guys think that 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 discussion or friction point is best sort of uh, breached, as it were? So, so it's people will people will just want you to do the job that you are hired to do, and if you start talking about yeah. something else, people are going to react um, generally negatively in a way that mm-hmm. if I. Um, if I have something wrong with my with my flat and I call out the electrician or the plumber, uh, I want them to sort out the electricity and I want them to sort out the plumbing. Uh, I'm not necessarily interested in, uh, in in them providing a completely different service to me, even or if like that change, service. Here's how you should change your bank account, or telling you about how you should invest in the blockchain. Yeah, and, you know, maybe they're, <laughs> maybe they'd be totally right about changing my bank account. But the point is yeah. that that wasn't the context where I wanted to hear it, so it's going to fall on right, deaf right. ears. Um, right. So I, I try to any time that I'm with a client and I think that something's a bit of a data ethics issue, I try and frame it more as, um, let's think about the way that this is working, but also have you considered that uh, doing this in this way will have these unintended consequences for the data or for the your profit line or, or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um, one situation where I had that was working with a, uh, a very simple um, sales performance dashboard and they wanted to assess their salespeople and, and the, the metric that they were using for assessing their salespeople was, it was basically just the amount of minutes spent on the phone per day. <laughs> and and, and for, from, I mean, just from a business perspective, that's like, what are you going to do? Chain your, just chain your sales reps to, the, to, to, the, to a desk and a phone? That's not actually getting the job done very well. So I was, I was able to frame it as a, um, as, as a question of, okay, can we link particular salespeople to revenue and then do, uh, then do some kind of comparison where, uh, basically like a, a ratio of um, revenue earned per minute spent on phone. And, and I was able to persuade <laughs> okay. them that that was a better metric just in terms of this is going to reward your salespeople that are more effective. But from a data ethics standpoint, I, I didn't even mention data ethics but to them, but I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, you're poor salespeople. All you're, all you're doing is just making them do call after call after call after mm-hmm. call. Because what you're rewarding is persistence, not flexibility. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and this, from the ethics perspective, the way that you're, you're uh, monitoring them and measuring them just makes their job atrocious. Right, right. So, and it encourages bad behavior. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, that, I, I, that was a nice one where the, um, the, the ethics side aligned with a, like the responsible metric side, the ethics side aligned with just a generally better metric side for the business. So that was nice. Yeah, for sure. I, th- I think what's really, uh, I think your example of climate change really, really helps here, right? Like, for example, you can tell someone, you should recycle that, but you're not going to be like. It's it's one of these things you you'll mention it because it's something you care about. You it's not like, you know. You do, I mean, there's probably recycling consultants out there that tell you like all these different things you can do to be more green. <laughs> but effectively, it's it's sort of like that, right? You you just do your bit. You say your you you say your piece and then leave it there. You don't really force someone to donate some some money to to offset their carbon emissions and things like this, right? You don't sit there and like, no, you have to do this. You really should. It's like, well, okay, cool, I will, but don't make me do that that sort of thing but so i think your advice point is is definitely how, how you deal with that sort of thing because um and you, you really have to play these things by the ear i don't think there's a hard and fast way of forcing an implementation of data ethics but 
just having the conversation, talking about it is a start. In yeah, so the, the Open Data Institute have a really nice uh, data ethics framework for, for mm -hmm. developing new projects. And um, okay. again, I, th I think that's a great starting point, but it also depends on uh, the amount of buy-in that people have. So it, while the framework is fantastic for people who are engaged and willing to look at uh, look at developing a new project under um, with, with particular ethical guidelines or when um, looking at uh, like investigating different ethical approaches to the project that they're doing. If, if you try to do the same thing with people who are already disengaged, it's, uh, I don't know, you'd have to be a much more convincing person than, than I am to be able to make that a success. <laughs> yeah, you're fighting an uphill sort of battle at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think we're we're in the now what section now. So we're sort of talking about well, you know, we've talked about data ethics, what it is. We've spoken a bit more about how it's used, why it's important, all these different things. And we're almost at like, well, what what should we be doing? Like, what what should we do next? And almost like, how will this have a? We're in a new decade. We're in twenty twenty. Like, how will this impact the future versus where it is today? And how can we, as a community of people, of you know, um, of tech workers and data workers and people that have this access and responsibility. How do we actively take this forward? Um, Tim, do you want to start on this one? Yeah, I think I think the way I normally do this kind of thing is that I, I, I tend to look at what other people have done. So shamelessly copy, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> so um, there's a couple of data ethics frameworks. And it's interesting because the data ethics means something different to every organization. So actually getting a feel for what different companies are think ethics refers to, it's probably a really good start um, because you might have a different sort of um, understanding of that in the context of the business that you run. For example, if you're a hospital, well, that has to be paramount. Whereas, um, I don't know, if you're a stock trader, just take a, an extreme example. Well, your ethics, well, your ethical framework might need to uh, be a bit more robust. But my point is, is that the things you have to worry about immediately in front of you are slightly different. And so I think that's the first thing I'd normally do. I don't, I don't know what you guys think. Well, what do you think are some of the key steps people should take? What I like doing is just talking about data ethics with a with a sense of enthusiasm. So I find that a lot of people know that data ethics is a is a thing that people talk about, but haven't necessarily read things about it or haven't necessarily um, really dived into it because the uh, the way that data ethics is presented can sometimes feel quite uh, prescriptive and forbidding and like a list of rules. But right. what's really nice is that just just talking enthusiastically about books like Invisible Women or Weapons of Math Destruction, people mm -hmm. people suddenly get interested and think, okay, well, it's not just like a set of commandments that you have to follow. It's a, it's a constant evolving living thing that you can think about and identify and it affects everything more than you think. And, 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 and just, just talking about it with enthusiasm, I find it, it helps just encourage people to, to get interested because it, it's a whole new area of conceptually interesting things to, to discover and read about and learn more about. So, so mm -hmm. I, yeah, I find that that helps a lot. Um, one of the things that I found, and, and I echo that completely, because one of the things I definitely struggled with was um, the sort of everyday sexism side of things. And um, through people talking to me about it and sort of almost showing the biases and showing the things I should be thinking about when I'm speaking and the, the, the things you do unconsciously just because society and the culture and things around you have just shaped you to be, even though it could be right or wrong. I think data ethics sort of sits where, in a similar sort of vein, where you, you want to be talking about something that's quite important and making people think about it, um, just and, and just doing it actively, but not like annoyingly. So to be talking about it in a way, as you say, Quillen, with enthusiasm, showing interesting examples, um, and sort of elevating the, the role of data security, data ethics, and data privacy play in our everyday life as we become 
you know, there's more and more data being used by companies, but also we have a responsibility for our own data and also the data we work and especially being workers in this industry. Um, I think I think that definitely will start just bringing it into the conversation more, right? Just bringing it into the discourse and the things we talk about, the things we think about automatically by virtue will improve or try to improve or at least shape the the, the actions we take. Yeah, exactly. I think it's actually also, I mean, Gwilym's point about enthusiasm is actually probably the most pertinent thing yeah. there. I think um, we have this habit, especially of bringing up sort of topics and consulting in a very dry way. Um, <laughs> and it really, really helps actually if you if you approach a topic with enthusiasm. But also, I think from an individual perspective, um, you know, just thinking, well, how, how do you do that in an enthusiastic way? Because every client is different, but also the context is different. Um, your audience is different. You know, factoring it into sort of your champions, you know, when you go talking to your champions and people who you're going to bring on as stewards for your um, you know, data literacy projects, how do you factor that into the way they approach people? It's, it's about cultivating a culture, as it were, of where that topic, data ethics, is more sort of frequently discussed and considered. Because only by doing that do you then have everyone in the organization thinking about it if one person thinks about it it's probably not going to be very ethical in itself right so it's um, also going to be very biased yeah to true, that person's exactly. perspective on the world right yeah or lack perspectives right uh, if it's not sure. sort of from a from a broad group of people so yeah, i think exactly. it's a very important sort of um sort of thing to consider okay one final thing that i think uh, doesn't get raised as data ethics that often is is going back to the technical side of things so I uh, completely mangle a join on an almost daily basis. I join on the wrong fields right. or I, I, I do a left join instead of an inner join where it should be the other way around. But uh, the point is that I, I normally normally catch these mistakes and, and, and rectify them before, uh, before any kind of negative effects in the later data pipeline happen. But the, the, the thing is that in, in my head, this is mostly just, oops, messed up a join again, better correct it. But the, Right. Just small technical things can have a huge effect on uh, as well. And, and just small technical things can have a huge effect as well. And I think that the outcomes from small technical effects could be classified as data ethics. So, for example, if you're, um, if you're doing a join of uh, hundreds of thousands of, of personal records, and let, let's say that you've got, um, you're, I don't know, you're joining two tables of people's names and you're, uh, you're joining on the name instead of someone's uh, consistent personal ID. Spelling mistakes mm -hmm. happen. People's names will be spelled differently in different tables. If you are joining on people's names, and because of spelling mistakes, some people fall out of that join, what, what business process are you doing which means that people are now missing from your data that shouldn't be? So for example, you could have, if you're, um, if, if you're looking up, say, people's addresses and whether or not they've paid their TV license, but you've joined on someone's name, which has a spelling mistake in it or is spelled inconsistently or someone's changed their name since they paid their TV license, that kind of thing. If if you're taking the left output of that join and saying, okay, the people who are in the addresses table and are not in the have made a payment table, we're going to go after them. Like, you get the situation where people are being hassled for payment, which they've already made. And and the right. and this is affecting people's lives in a very negative way. People feel um, people feel hassled, people feel stressed. And, and all it is is because someone's joined on a name instead of a, a person ID. You know? And so, so I think that right. one of the most, in terms of making small steps towards data ethics, uh, one of the best things you can do is set up as many, um, as many kind of checkpoints as possible throughout your data pipeline to try and predict where you're going to go wrong and, and try and rectify any mistakes that you might make. And, and I think this is competence ethics in that one of the most ethical things you can do, I think, 
is be good at your job. Right? <laughs> yeah. Just to, to yeah. minimize as many mistakes and the, the horrific effects of unintended mistakes. Yeah. Yeah. Just do your job, basically. And, and I don't, <laughs> just reminds me of that. Yeah. I, I don't want that Go to turn it. into uh, feeling like I'm hassling people or, or, or making people feel uh, making people feel bad because that, that's not the effect I want. It's, it's, it's just about um, uh, admitting that you're, you're human and you're going to make, even the best technical architects are going to make mistakes in, in their data pipeline at some point. And just, right. to, just to spend your day with the idea in the back of your mind that, hey, at some point I might mess up. What would the effect of that be? And how can I make sure I don't mess up? Yeah. And, and this yeah. comes back to like things like systems, right? And having like the checklist of stuff you need to do before you make something productionized, et cetera, et cetera. And this is where process and systems and protocols that people put in place. And if you design those with data ethics in mind alongside everything else you have to consider, then yeah, absolutely. You start minimizing those mistakes, right? Yeah, it's a, it's a very valid point. Um, I actually think people should take solace from that because I think we all do pride ourselves in the quality of the work we all do. So um, at the very least, if, if you if you keep on sort of aspiring to do your job better, then inherently you'll eventually get there, if that makes sense. You'll eventually get to the point where ethics is something that is considered. But there has to be that concerted effort to just think about it a little bit more as well to kind of uh, take it into your thought process. Okay, I think that's it. Uh, that's been a great episode, Gwilym. Thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Thanks Thank you for being... Thank you for being our first guest. You didn't tell me I was um, going to be the first guest. Dare I say it? Absolutely. No, it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think it's it's, it's been great. We Ravi and I know nothing about data ethics. Yeah. So uh, we, 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 when we thought of this topic, we just thought, well, there's one guy and that was you. So uh, I, I think yeah. got right. If, if there's any takeaway, like, there, there are very, there are very, very few experts. I, I've read a bit, but there's always so much more to learn and so much more to explore. Right. I'd never, I'd never want to call myself an expert on data ethics. I just, uh, I just really right. like reading about it and learning and trying to, uh, trying to incorporate it into my job. Exactly. Cool. Um, if you want to listen to old episodes of the podcast, uh, head to datumpodcast.com. You can find all the links to subscribe in your favorite podcast reader. If you want to join the conversation. Uh, Twitter handle is exactly the same, Dayton Podcast. Uh, give us a tweet. Uh, we're going to be talking about the episode a lot, I'm sure, in the future as data ethics becomes more pertinent. And uh, join us um, for the next episode, which will be in a couple of weeks. Farewell. Cool. Thanks for listening, everyone. Cheers.